Hi, this is Jeannie Reisig, and this is my first podcast, and I'm so excited to start this adventure. After 25 years of working in adoption, first working for a private agency, and then I had my own agency, um, I placed over 400 babies, and then I thought I was going to retire. But that's just not me. I just don't feel like I can sit in a chair. (laughs) So... I'm just too passionate about experience I've had and amazing people along the way, and really just how wonderfully things can come together with open adoption. So I wrote a book, uh, Unbroken Ties Continues After Adoption, which is on Amazon. It's a little plug there. So here we go. So today I'm going to talk about open versus closed adoption because this is like where I have my most strong opinions about because I believe so strongly in open adoption. So I'm just going to share that with you guys. So I guess the first thing maybe I should do is say what an open adoption is because I'm not going to bore you with like a major definition or anything, but basically all it is is just people get together and birth parents, adoptive families, they meet each other and they share full identifying information. I know that sounds kind of scary if you're not familiar with it, but it's um, the most humane, most wonderful way to do adoption for everybody in the adoption triad, meaning the adoptive family, the birth family, and of course the adopted child. So what happens um, is that they meet, they share all this identifying information, and they work out how they're going to have their life together. And really, it's like anything else. It's like, you know, you might have an Uncle Charlie that you think, hey, he's coming over for dinner, and we're just going to have to, like, really limit the time we spend with him. He's not one of our favorite people. I mean, it happens in families, and it happens in this kind of a situation. So it all has to be worked out. But it's so, so, so important for everybody, especially for the the adoptee. So, you know, you just work it out. And the families and the birth families negotiate, have mutual trust and respect with each other, and negotiate in what's in the best interest of their child. And so that's really what it's all about. And the whole thing that I'm going to stress, and you're going to hear me say this over and over again, how important counseling is and how important especially education is, because without education, who's going to be able to understand really what this whole thing is? And especially the families when they think, who is this woman who's carrying this child that I'm going to adopt? Like, what is the deal with birth moms? And who are they? And what are they about? And so again, education, 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 and you're going to hear me say that over and over again. And actually, what we did when I worked for Lutheran Family Services for 15 years was we started out with what was called semi-open adoption. And We, as adoption professionals, thought that we had to be in control because that's really all that we knew then. And so we thought we had to do everything for everybody. And the um, kind of rigid, I guess you would call how we were, then that we were going to do be the pickers, we're going to pick out the families for the birth mat, which we did. But then when they switched to open adoption, actually it kind of came about in the 80s, 
people just started to look at how harmful it was, the traditional adoption, because it was all mystery and secrecy. And I mean, how good is that? How good is that for anybody? So a lot of agencies started switching to openness because they started recognizing that it was so much better to be honest and so much more humane for everybody. But when we first started doing it, we like sat behind a big conference table and matched up the birth mom and the adoptive families. And we just, you know, we're in control of everything. And we would pick out, like we'd say, okay, well, Susie, birth mom Susie, she likes uh, she likes horses. So let's, oh, look, here's a family that lives on a ranch. So well, let's, you know, give her a choice. Uh, we you give her a couple choices. We're going to take these families to her and show her and see which one she likes. Well, well, then she picks one and then we set up what's called a match meeting and they meet. But of course, they can't share any identifying information, God forbid. So they don't with semi-open adoption. But, you know, they meet at least, and then they kind of talk about, oh, you know, what would you like? Would you like to get pictures and letters of your child, and how often would you want that? And so they kind of work that stuff out, and that's pretty much it. But with open adoption, they are meeting, they are sharing identifying information, and they are you know, going out together. Maybe the family goes to the doctor with the birth mom, birth family. Um, Maybe they're in the um, delivery room with her. And the baby goes right home from the hospital. So it's so, so different. And again, you're going to hear me talk about education because, again, that's like major, major. With the education process, we would have a three-day education class for the adoptive family, and we would bring in birth moms because that's all a mystery. Like, who are these women? Who are these people? Do they really care about their child? And we would have a birth mom panel, and we would have these young women come in and talk about what it was really like for them, like in real life, like how absolutely devastated they are that this is what they have to do at this point in their life because they've chosen to at least give their child life um, and they're incapable at this moment in their life for whatever reason to parent. But we really want to educate the family about who these people are. They're not just a uterus, is what we used to say. It's like, that's kind of, that sounds really weird, but they're they're really people with real feelings and they're going to go through a lot of grief and loss. And so we try to have these real live people come and talk to the adoptive family, which is really helpful for them. I mean, they really begin to see this person as a real person, but versus, you know, in the past, they would be, there was so much stigma involved. And what I mean by stigma is that Remember in the 60s, or I don't know, depending on your age, you wouldn't know, but it would be like, okay, um, Susie's pregnant, so, oh my God, we're going to send her off to Aunt Susie's in some unknown place, you know, and of course, she disappears for nine months or something, and she apparently goes into a maternity home, and then they tell her, and I've had 
people tell me this. I've had clients tell me this. They told me, I have to pretend like this didn't happen. I, I just have to go on with my life, pretend like it didn't happen. They take the baby. They don't even let her see the baby. And by the way, did you know that in the 40s, they used to pay, put paper bags over women's heads and tell them that you cannot even know the sex of your child? Versus now... They are. They give birth, they hold their child, they spend time with their child. Um, most of the time the family's there, a lot of the time the family's in the delivery room, everything in the open. So one more thing that, you know, you hear me talk about education, education, but I'll just share a little quick story with you about a young woman that came to me. <clears throat> and she said she wanted me to um, help her solve the greatest mystery of her life. She wanted to um, contact her birth mom. She wanted to search, actually, for her birth mom. She expressed just like a really strong need to know, like most, of course, people do when they don't have information. And that was kind of one of the biggest things in her life at the moment. But, um, you know, they want to know they were loved. They want to know, I mean, did my was I just given up because I wasn't cared for? I mean, these are all questions they want to know. And with open adoption, of course, they get all those questions answered. But she was really, and of course, she wanted medical history too. But the thing is, she didn't want to hurt her family by searching. So, but again, you know, if it was open adoption, there would be none of that because her family would be educated about the importance of uh, answers for their child. I'm just going to share a really quick story with you um, because it's helpful just to give you an idea of really what open adoption is. Um, This young lady, Stacy is her name. Uh, Stacy came to me when she was 18 years old. She was homeless. She was living in a maternity home. And she, her, the birth father had abandoned her. Her family had abandoned her. She really was alone. She did not have anyone, and she came to me and didn't really want to be there at all, but she stuck with the counseling, and she started to see that she had no job, no support system. She was like, I cannot raise a child. So she started thinking about it. First, she said she was going to parent. No question about it. I'm going to parent my baby, and then she's started realizing, you know, how can I do that? And also she was having a boy and she realized that boys need a dad. And so she decided to pick a family. And then back in those days, (laughs) no, they still do it. Families, like they put together like this extensive profile book that's really a lot of times just beautiful. They have you know, pictures of themselves. They talk a lot about who they are as people and they talk about their extended family and, you know, the reasons why they can't, probably infertility and all the reasons why. And they, we have them write a letter to the birth moms. They do that. And they have, they just have these, some of the books are just incredible. So she looked through the book, she picked a family and she met them. Uh, she just hit hit it off with them right away. And she told me, she said she felt it was God's way of telling her that these were the family that she chose for her son. They really hit it off. Um, family went to the doctor's appointments with her and they spent time together. She went to their home, hung out with them. They picked the baby's name together. And she talked about 
how pleased she was that what she could do for them, besides what she was going to do for her son, give her son a wonderful set of parents. So they, um, they were there in the hospital. They picked her up when she went into labor. They were in the hospital. They were going to be in the delivery room, but she had to have a C-section, so that didn't work. But um, they were there. They were amazing. They spent time together. They gave her time with her son. Um, when they walked out together, though, Stacy did tell me, she said, quote, um, she said, I spiraled into intense grief, and she, she had a really hard time. She said the grief was immense and crushing, was the way she described it. But she still felt that she had given her child the best life she could give him, and she had given the family what they couldn't do, what they couldn't provide for themselves. So she, you know, she kept feeling really good about that, even though the pain, she said, sometimes was almost intolerable. So she just hung out with them. You know, she, she was with them a lot, but then she did move. She moved to New York. And a little side story here about Stacy is um, she moved to New York. I mean, she would come back and she would visit and she would always spend time with them. But when she went to New York, I kind of lost touch with her and because I've kept touch with her. I still keep in touch with her, even to this day. But I lost her and I thought I lost her in the World Trade Center. But she got a hold of me, you know, after that, I was so worried. She said she had walked down to Starbucks before the first plane hit the building. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, that's a little side story. But um, anyway, so today Stacy has two other kids. She lives down south. She visits often. She was able to, when her birth son was 11, she got married and... She had he was in her wedding, and she said that the the day of her wedding she was able to have a conversation with him, explaining to him how she carried him, gave birth to him, and how much she loved him, and about her adoption decision. And she told him how she, the moment she met his parents, she knew that God was telling her they were the parents. So imagine how wonderful that was for her to be able to share that with him, and also for him to hear that from her. So that's the little glowing story of Stacy, which, of course, they're not all like that. I, I mean, I just, I say, open adoption, open adoption, and, and normally, and it is usually absolutely great. But in some cases, like I had a client that had some mental illness, and they just, even though, and the family really wanted to have open adoption because they understood how important it was, but... It didn't work out. She um, During her pregnancy, she was seemed so fine. But after she delivered, she kind of spiraled back into mental illness. And it just wouldn't have worked out for them to have open adoption. But I think she does receive some things. Um, and I think it does go through the agency. But at least the child has information about her. I mean, they're going to share everything they know about her. And birth parents fill out extensive social medical histories. So they have all that information as well, but it's not um, the glowing Stacy story. And they're not all, but mostly they are. So questions, questions. I'm sure you have questions. Um, please send me any of your comments, any topics you'd like me to cover. I have a lot that I, there's so many 
I have a lot that I am going to do, and I'm so excited about doing that. So also, um, you can check out my book on Amazon, Unbroken Ties, The Connection Continues After Adoption. And thanks so much for listening. Wait till next time. It's going to be even better.